Our scripture passage for today is given in Luke chapter 5. And so if you'll turn there with me, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. This is Luke chapter 5. And I would suggest that you uh, put a marker there because as you will remember, we simply go on to the next verse in the book of Luke. So you'll have it marked for next week. So turn to Luke chapter 5 and read along with me beginning in verse 17. On one of those days as he, the Lord Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, with the Lord Jesus, to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. As we read and we study the the precious words of this passage, I can recall some other familiar words of instruction that Jesus seemed to repeat often, saying, He who has eyes to see and ears to see, to hear. Let him see and hear. In this particular circumstance, God had very purposefully set the scene in place for another special miracle that Jesus would do. All of his miracles were meaningful, yes, but this one was especially so. Some days earlier, he had healed the man who was full of leprosy showing to all who had been drawn to him that he had powers and abilities beyond that of mortal men. Here on this day, God had intentionally drawn the audience that he wanted to be there. How do we know that? We know that because of the one basic truth that we've been studying recently, the profound truth that Jesus gave when he said, no one comes to me except my father draw them. No one was there in front of him that day except that the Father had drawn them to be there. And that was so with this group, and it would be so with every group that came before Jesus. Now, first, here in this setting, there was the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. God especially had chosen these men and had charged them with learning and knowing the truths of the scriptures so that they can then lovingly instruct the people in the synagogues, but who had sadly 
close their eyes and their ears to this gospel that Jesus was giving. And their circumstance was truly a sad one. Though these men were so very intelligent and they were highly educated, these truths of the gospel were completely incomprehensible to them. They were completely beyond their knowing. Now, why would that be so? Why would that be so? Why could they not learn the meaning of the gospel? The reason is is that it's, as we've been saying on so many occasions lately from this pulpit, it's because the truths of the gospel are of a spiritual nature. They are not of an intellectual nature. As the words of 1 Corinthians 2 plainly tell us, spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. Spiritual truths can only be spiritually discerned. And no amount of education or training can befit a person's mind to reach beyond the boundaries of the natural realm into that spiritual realm and gain that special spiritual discernment. One thing and one thing only can befit a person's mind to receive things of the Spirit, and that is faith. Faith through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The simple truth is that no thought process or intellectual pursuit of spiritual truths is ever complete and effectual without the presence of the Holy Spirit and faith. Faith provides hearing, a kind of hearing that allows us to truly hear real truth. And a kind of sight with eyes to see behind the scenes all those precious and loving involvements of God as He works within all the matters of our daily life. All those involvements that the unbelieving mind is completely unaware of. They can't see it. They can't see that it's taking place. I was speaking a moment ago about the providential hand of God. His hand is always at work in every circumstance. And we need to be looking for His hand. We need to have eyes to see His hands at work. But again, sadly, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, they would sit there that day and they would listen, but they would not hear. They'd see, but they'd not see who they really had in front of them. But listen, this is what God does. Though they would not see or hear, the Holy Spirit still drew them there so that they would be without excuse. Because when we stand in judgment, we will all be without excuse. And sadly, just as with these scribes and these Pharisees that were there that day, there are so many people, even this day, who've been drawn by God the Father to be present in the pews of so many, many churches across our lands. And they hear the words of the gospel. It's being given by their preachers. But though they listen, they do not hear. Their hearts and their minds have not fully surrendered to the saving and empowering indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. But thankfully, thankfully, there were many there in that house that day that could see. And they could hear the truths of the gospel. And that was especially so as we observe the earnest desires and the behaviors of these friends of this paralyzed man. 
we can see that it mattered very little the level of knowledge and education and intellect that they had as compared to those scribes and those Pharisees. What they had was faith. Those friends of that man had faith. And their simple faith was what it took to bring about a wonderful and miraculous healing for their friend. Listen to these words, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven. Folks, here in these words, Jesus is revealing something very special and very mysterious about this precious gift of faith. First, that faith is not just a thought within our minds. It's also a behavior. These words tell us that Jesus saw their faith. He not only knew those men's thoughts, he saw their thoughts of faith being demonstrated in their behavior. That is an absolutely essential element of faith. Faith is never just a thought or a feeling. It's a demonstrated behavior. And so when you hear one of your friends or loved ones saying, well, I believe, I believe in God, I believe in Christ. Remember, faith is never just a thought or a feeling. It's a demonstrated behavior. Now, secondly, note here that Jesus does not mention the faith of the man who was crippled. These words seem to tell us that the primary reason that Jesus healed that man was because of the faith of that man's friends. And that's a precious, mysterious promise to you and me. A promise that if we have faith and exercise our faith in our prayers and in our behaviors for another person, perhaps our children or our grandchildren or other loved ones, then perhaps God will honor our faith and save our loved ones. As for these scribes and Pharisees present that day, they themselves probably did have some measure of belief and faith. They had studied all about God all of their lives in their schools and seminaries. But it seems that their faith rested within their knowledge and their intellect and their training. But folks, there are realms of understanding that mere knowledge and intellect will never touch. Will never touch. And here in these words, Jesus is clearly telling us that faith, faith is the essential provision within our soul. Faith is the vehicle that miracles ride upon. Let me say that again. Faith is the vehicle that miracles ride upon. Note here also, These words in verse 17. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Folks, those are strange and mysterious words. Are those words implying that on some occasions the power of the Lord to heal was not always with the Lord Jesus? Strangely, it seems to say that. And no, I don't understand it. But we're told a similar thing in another place in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 58 We're told that Jesus did not do many miracles and mighty works in the particular place that he was in at the time because of the people's unbelief. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? That by our unbelief, we can actually hinder the Lord Jesus from doing his mighty works of power. Folks, that truth should serve as a warning to us about our unbelief, our lack of faith. But thankfully, though, There was no such lack of faith in many of these people that were present 
this day in this house. And so we read, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Praise the Lord for that, because he would do that. He would do that in only moments. So then again, faith is a mysterious, essential element to the powerful works of the Lord Jesus that day and even in our day. And it's also, mysteriously, the essential element within our own righteous works that we might do. They must be done through faith. Now, perhaps had these very intelligent scribes and Pharisees but only opened their hearts that day and their minds to Christ, they would have quickly recalled words like those of the prophet Habakkuk, words that had been taught to them in their schools and in their seminaries. There where God said, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. But yet these scribes and Pharisees did not seem to understand that. And so they had no such faith. And they languished with nothing but their short-sighted knowledge and intellect. But with that being said, you and I must be careful not to so quickly cast stones at those men. It's easy to see their faults. But we should not quickly cast stones at them because we too have that same problem. We also lack faith. In the rush of the matters of the day, it's not an easy thing for us to interrupt this natural flow of our intellectual thoughts and then to invite in the element of faith. Why would that be so? Why would that be so? Why did those learned men then and why do you and I now have such difficulty in simply stopping and having faith, believing that God is powerfully at work in all the circumstances of our life? Perhaps it's because faith, by its very nature, is an odd thing. Faith is an odd thing. Faith is, in every way, a paradox. I recall one preacher I heard speak on the paradox of faith. He described faith as being a completely absurd notion that somehow becomes a workable reality. Let me say that again so that we don't misunderstand it. This preacher described the Paradox of faith as being a completely absurd notion that somehow becomes a workable reality. I like that definition because faith seems to be exactly that way. It's a paradox, but a paradox that really can work its way out into reality by the power of the Spirit of Christ working in it. Remember the definition of faith that's given in Hebrews 11. There God tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith has that special ability to make those things and those ideas and those plans that are absolutely impossible, even absurd, somehow to become real and present and possible. Faith makes those things that are only hoped for to really take place. And that's plainly demonstrated for us here in the actions of the friends of this paralyzed man. As those dear men worked their way around through the crowd that was gathered there that day, they were filled with hope for their friend. But beyond that hope, they also had a deeply held belief, a faith that God can and will do things, that God could and would heal their friend. And Jesus proved it to them that day. 
in healing their friend, God made their hope become real. Because faith really does make those things hoped for to become real. But folks, as I said a moment ago, just having a deeply held belief is still not quite enough. For belief to be worked out to completion, as with this man's healing, we must actually do something with that belief. For belief to become actual faith, it must be put to use. Otherwise, otherwise our beliefs simply remain there unfulfilled. Just as took place with the Levites in the book of Joshua, when they were preparing to carry that Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River, enter into the Promised Land, they really believed. They really believed. But until that moment when they first placed their foot into the Jordan River, those waters did not part. Let me say that again. Until those Levites actually put their foot into that water, it did not part. That was the same kind of step of faith that these friends of this paralyzed man took. It was as those men made the personal effort to bring their friend to Jesus and then to fight their way through the crowd and then to dig a hole in the roof and to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. That was when belief and hope became faith, the faith that brought about the healing of their friend. And that's the special message that God has for you and for me from these scriptures today. The message is that simple belief must be accompanied by action before it becomes real faith. And not just any action, but persistent believing action. The Bible uses a word that I don't use very often. It's the word importunate. Importunate. Importunity implies a stubborn and sometimes annoying persistence. Let me say that again. Importunity implies a stubborn and sometimes annoying persistence. You might recall the widow before the unjust judge. She was persistent until he answered. Folks, that importunity, that stubborn and sometimes annoying persistence... That's the kind of faith that I want to have. That's the kind of faith that I want to have. Note again the persistence, even the stubborn efforts on the part of these men. Verse 18 again. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and to lay him before Jesus. But finding, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. There was a great crowd present that day. They were gathered inside the house and outside of the house. And some of those people were probably as in dire need as that paralyzed man. Themselves having such health problems that needed healing. And they also wanted to get up close to the Lord Jesus. As close as they could get because the power was going out from him. And it was healing people. And so they wanted to get up as close to Jesus as they could, hoping that he would do a miracle for them. And that's an instruction and a warning for you and me as we make our effort to draw near to the Lord Jesus. There are many, listen, there are many people who will block our efforts to draw near to Christ. Some of them intentionally, but most of them unintentionally. Most people are simply too caught up in their own needs 
to stop and invite you and me to go on ahead of them. But whatever the reason might be, you and I will often find ourselves at the back of the line. We know that Jesus is up there ahead of us somewhere. But try as we may, the obstacles, the people, our work schedule, our health, our money, our time, or other circumstances, they all seem to work to keep us from drawing nearer to Christ. And then intermingle with all of that are those powerful forces of the world and the flesh and the devil, ever and always working against us. But listen, these friends of the paralyzed man, they had the answer. It was stubborn persistence, importunity. Folks, persistence is an absolutely essential element of faith. God is good, and yes, He does good things all of the time. But for reasons unknown to us, there are times when God knows that it's better for us to continue in our stubborn persistence. Recall the circumstance when, as some of the disciples were trying to heal a diseased person, their efforts failed. And they asked Jesus, why was that so? Why could we not heal this man? Jesus told them that on some occasions, some healing only comes with prayer and fasting. Persistence is something that you and I are not always good at. Yes, we might stop and pray and ask God for His answers, His blessings, His healing. But when His answer doesn't come immediately or in the way that we would like it to, we get confused and we get anxious and we get impatient. But if we will carefully examine the words about prayer that God gives to us, and especially like these in Philippians chapter 4, we'll find that God does not always promise immediate answers. Listen to these words. He tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. God wants you and me to be confident in Christ rather than confident in His immediate answers. He wants our faith to become real trust and then for us to wait upon His provision. The Christian writer John Piper wrote these words. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Let me say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Are we satisfied that God truly is good and that He will do good for us in every circumstance, no matter how that circumstance or its outcome may appear to be? Are we satisfied that He will do that which is best for us and that His wisdom and His timing are better than our own. Folks, there are always more factors at work in every situation than just our own. How often have you and I prayed for a circumstance or a person and it never seems to change? That's because there are so many other factors involved than just the one that we're concerned about. There are other people and their needs and their behaviors and even our own needs and our own behaviors. All of those things factor into God's timing. 
God takes all of those matters into consideration as he answers prayer. And sometimes that requires that it be delayed for a while. The thing that God requires of you and me is faith. Faith that is carried out by unyielding and stubborn, persistent trust. Listen to these words and we'll close. He tells us again, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray.